0: Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, Anybody get woken up by the rain last night? Yes, you know why, uh, at least in my house, is because it's been so dang hot these last weeks that every door and window is open all night and then all of a sudden it just like dumps rain. And you're like, what's this noise? What's this strange thing that's happening outside? But it's it's nice and you know dry in here. Glad that you're here this morning. My name is Caleb and Lee pastor here if we haven't met yet. And uh, you're jumping in this morning, if you're, if you're new or checking things out, or you haven't been here a little while, you're jumping in, it's almost kind of like to the, to the middle of the movie, uh, we're, we're having this conversation, this discussion, we're looking at God's Word and talking about what it is uh, that He wants for our lives and actually how we grow uh, in our relationship with Him and in life in general. And if you've missed the last couple of weeks, you can listen online, you're, you're not going to, you know, this message by itself, you will get something out of. But you can listen to previous messages online or through the podcast. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it is to be happy and how most people don't understand happiness because everyone wants to be happy, but a lot of people aren't happy. And so if you want to be happy but can't figure out how to get there, maybe you don't fully understand happiness. And uh, we talked about how true happiness is about a who, not a what. That no thing will ever make you happy. It's not possible. Thing cannot make you happy. And we also talked about how uh, true happiness is a result of peace with God, which paves the way to peace with others and peace with self. Oftentimes people, many people, are not, quote, happy in their life because they're just restless inside. I mean, they just can't get right with themselves. And then last week we talked about hope and a hope beyond better. Because everybody has a hope that things will get better. That's, that's normal hope, but, but better dies eventually. And when better dies, your hope can die. Uh, but we talked about how hope beyond better has to do with this idea of resurrection, which is the whole message of Jesus. Uh, that there was this thing that happened. He came here, there was a resurrection that brought new life, and you can have hope that goes through beyond past, even death. So if you missed those, you can listen to them. But this morning, we're going to talk about another term. A small word, three-letter word, that no one likes, called sin. <clears throat> don't leave. Uh, stay, <laughs> stay where you are. It, it's, it's not going to be that kind of a message. You're not going to feel uh, beaten over the head by this idea. But it's important that we talk about it. In fact, uh, the people that, like, love to talk about sin, I don't trust. Uh, because... <laughs> Because they probably have scars on their back from like self induced punishment. I'm terrible. We, I just, we're supposed to live in shame. And all That's not the worldview that you find in scripture that, that God would actually want from you. However, we do need to talk about it. We do need to talk about this whole idea of sin. And so, right out of the gate, I want to tell you what it is the essence of sin might be different than how you grew up or how you thought or kind of just coming up through life, how you think about it. But the essence of sin is simply separation. That's what it is. It's separation, ultimately from God, but also from others and from yourself. We used the word peace a couple of weeks ago when we talked about shalom. And that God's intent with the word peace, it's not just a lack of war, but it's like wholeness, completeness, unity, connection, relationship, that that's the kind of peace and life that God wants from you. And so sin is literally the interruption of that, the brokenness, the gap, the space between, the distance between you and God, you and others, and even you and yourself, so you don't have to be like racking your brain for all the bad moral choices that you've made in recent history, and trying to figure out, okay, well, wow, there was like twelve yesterday. Did I confess all of them? Did I? Did I do? Did I, you know, go to the thing? Did I do the place? Did I have to to, to make these things? Don't you don't don't worry about all that. Our tendency is to go to the sin scale, right? And we think of well, you know, sins one, two, and three. That like. No one blames me for that. That's what everybody does. But, but when you get to the four and the five and the six, you got to start paying attention a little bit uh, because it, th- those things are bad. And I, you know, you're a six kind of sinner, but I'm only a four kind of sinner. Uh, and then the seven, eights and nines, that's what you get locked up for. So we draw the line, <laughs> right? So this isn't about that. This is not a sin comparison thing. This is not a sin scale thing. You can't categorize people in terms of their degree of sinning. That's not what today is about. Today is simply about recognizing that the whole idea of sin, in its essence, is simply separation. Separation from God, separation from each other, separation from yourself. So, the wrong question then to ask, and some of you asked this, I know I've asked this, is this a sin? Because how could it be a sin how could it be wrong if it feels so good, right? And so you're going to think, well, well, would you consider this a sin? Well, would you con- how could this be a sin because it feels so good? Or it could- that's the wrong question. That's not, that's not the, the, the helpful question. The right question, a more helpful question is, will this ultimately disconnect me from God, others, and myself? That's what you might want to ask yourself. Will this behavior, will this thing, will this temptation, will this opportunity, will this path ultimately disconnect me from God, others, and myself? So we're going to look, as we have the last couple of weeks, at uh, this letter that the famous Apostle Paul wrote to an actual group of people in an actual time and an actual place called Rome. And we call it Romans, appropriately. And he wrote this letter to about 50,000 Jewish people. Uh, there were about 50,000 Jewish people living in Rome at that time, and Rome was about a million people and 10 square miles. So it was dense. It was this super mega city. Uh, they, they said at that time that all roads lead to Rome. So it was a very influential city. And in this city, there are a percentage of that 50,000 Jewish people and a percentage of the non-Jewish people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Paul writes this 20, 25 years after Jesus had done the whole thing where he like, died and then wasn't dead anymore and rose from the dead, uh, the resurrection we talk about. And, and so Paul is helping these people, meeting in a church, several churches probably, and that met in homes, helping them sort out what it means to follow this Jesus and to live in this life that he invites us into. Chapter 5. When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. This is a little bit dense. Stay with me, even if it gets confusing. Church people say, "Oh, that's deep." They just mean confusing. So just stay with me. (laughs) Stay with me. If you get a little bit, if you get a little bit confused, it'll it'll all be okay. We'll, We'll get to a good spot. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that or read that and realized that Adam was a symbol of Christ yet to come? There are some people that I talk to that have difficulty believing in like an actual Adam and Eve and that whole creation thing is, is a stumbling block for them. If that's you, you don't even need, it doesn't even matter this morning because Adam is a symbol, according to Paul, for what we need to know this morning. He's a symbol pointing to Jesus, So through the symbol Adam, the first man, sin enters the world. And it's pointing to some future reality that's about to happen too. The Bible is so full of, you know, layers and symbolism like that. It's so fascinating. You can read it your whole life and you still get new things, different things, hear it in a different way. You're in a different place than when you read it before and all this. It's, It's such a fascinating book. Verse 18, yes. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So think about it this way. You were born an American, most of you, not all of you. But most of you were born in America. You were born in the United States of America. And so on your birth certificate and on your passport is stamped U.S. citizen. Others of you that were born other places, you, you were born into a different nation and you were born into that nation and you were obligated to follow the rules and the customs and the laws and everything else of that particular nation it's where you were born and some of you are grateful that you were born into this nation because most of the world was not and you feel like you have privilege here and so maybe you even wonder if that's fair like I'm just lucky I'm fortunate I was born here I get to live here maybe it's fair maybe it's unfair maybe it's just what it is But what Paul is suggesting here is that not only were you born in the country and the nation that you were born, you were also born into this idea of sin or into separation. But because Adam chose separation from God, that you inherited it. And you know this. I mean, maybe intellectually it's tough to sort out, but but you, you know this. It's the same reason why babies, I think, come out of the womb like crying. Because they're like, this place is broken. This is crazy. What did I just, what did I give myself into? And they just, they cry automatically. It's the first thing that happens. Have you noticed this? We were born into this kind of strangeness. And my two-year-old, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and no one taught him how to disobey me. He, he just kind of got that on his own. You know? No, no one gave him an instruction manual on disobedience and self-will. He just, he just naturally does the opposite of what I tell him to do. It's in him. And Paul is saying, it's in you too. You, you get this. It's the same reason why if someone tells you not to touch something, what do you want to do? You touch it. And they tell you not to go somewhere. You want to go there. There's just something in you that's a little bit skeptical, a little bit rebellious. Wants to kind of, if, if there's a wrong thing, you kind of want to test that and, and make sure that it's really a wrong thing. There's another reason, too, that that you can kind of get on board with this whole idea. It's because you've asked the same question that I've asked, and that's, what's wrong with me? Haven't you? Like, what's wrong with me? I would love to blame everybody else for, you know, the, the ugly stuff in my life or the things that I do that are wrong, but at the end of the day, it's, there's something wrong with me. When you're driving back from that place again, and you're like, what is wrong with me? why did I do that again? When you just lash out and say the things and harshly again to the person that you love, you're like, ah, what is wrong with me? There's something, and you know it, you feel it, you sense it, that's just wrong. We wish that it had more to do with someone else, but when we're honest, it's like, it's in here. I feel like it's almost as if I was kind of like born with a problem. Huh because at the end of the day the situations that you find yourself in you bought it got yourself into the debt you ate it you drank it you smoked it you dated her <laughs> some some of you married him it's like it's it's in me i i have this tendency toward or maybe not the best path. But then Paul gives us this but. It's a big but. It's a, it's a, it's a big but. I have, it, I, I have it in all caps in my notes to remind me that it's a big but. And he says this, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Everyone who asks for it, wants it, believes it, he says, everyone can have this new life. Okay, so this is, this is the status, this is the place that you were born into, this is the tendency that you have, but what Jesus did trumps all of that. And Paul says he offers new life. Your, your personal profile over here, it's all changed. Your, your birth certificate or a passport that was stamped death, it's now stamped life. It's, just, it's changed. Colossians one, Paul writing to another city, he says, "For I have, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Transferred, you have been transferred from one place, from one kingdom, from one nation, from one identity to another." It's done. It happened. That's what the cross and the resurrection were all about. That thing has happened. That ship has sailed. You, you have been transferred. Uh, another way of looking at it is, is adoption. Uh, I have some friends that have been desperately trying to adopt a, a little boy from Haiti. And it's been like a two-year journey, a process of trying to trying to. In a sense, rescued this kid who's in an orphanage who doesn't have much of a future, and they built a relationship, and they've just decided like this is this is what this is what we want to do. We want to adopt this child, and it's been this long, painful journey of back and forth, back and forth. Expense after expense after expense. They have to go and they have to be in court and they have to go, go home and they come and have these meetings and then come and pay this money and, and they keep getting sent back without the little boy. It's just, it's, it's so difficult because it's so costly. Just like it says, the verse that we just read that Jesus bought our freedom. There's a cost to this and to watch this two years, it's brutal, but one day they will be able to take this boy into their family out of, it's almost like there's this invisible oppressiveness trying to keep people stuck. You know what I mean? And one day they will pull him out and they will say, you are no longer just stuck in this orphanage and forgotten and hopeless. You are a part of our family. You are in this new place. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Now some of you didn't grow up in the best kind of family home environment, but even if you didn't, can you, can you picture with me, can you imagine a family environment, a dynamic that you would have wanted to be a part of, that you, that you just see, that you think of, that you think would be ideal? And you, I just know for my boys, like, there's nothing that they could do, there's nothing that they could do that would make them not my boys. Like, there's no decisions that they can make, there's no, quote, sins that they can commit that are going to make me boot them out and not be my sons anymore. And God uses this, and Paul is using this metaphor as a very intentional example. It's like that for you. You have been adopted. You are in. You're in the family. It's done. It's done. You, you can't screw this up to the point where he kicks you out of the family and gets you with a lightning bolt. You're, you're, you're in. You're his kid, just like these are my kids. And I love them no matter what. I have uh, another good friend of mine who adopted two boys from Uganda. And these were boys that were living on the street. They had no family. They literally lived on the street, sniffed glue, just to kind of take the edge off, and ate from the dumpsters, from the dump. They were on their own. And my friends were there filming a documentary, and they came across these boys, and their hearts were just so broken for them, they just, they just found a way. And over the course of a year, over a year, they brought these two boys back home to live with them. The same brutal process back and forth, staying there for weeks at a time. And they, they finally get them here. They're living in South Orange County in a nice house from the streets, from the streets of Uganda. And now here they are. It's overwhelming, but they love it. You know, they've seen advertisements of, of like cars and stuff that people actually own and drive. And now they're in one. <laughs> they have their own bed They sit at a table and eat food that someone else put there. And it was this process of acclimating to this new family life. And what my friends noticed was that for several months, when they first arrived, the boys were sneaking food from the table every meal. So they would eat a little bit, and then when my friends weren't looking, they would sneak some, put it in their pockets. And they started finding this food under their bed, under their pillow, in their drawers of their dresser because they didn't know if they were going to keep being fed. They didn't know. They were fresh off the streets. They were optimistic, but they didn't fully trust these people. All they'd known was fighting for their life and for every scrap of food, and they needed to unlearn that old way of life and begin to believe that they were a part of a new family, cared for, protected. Do you think my friends beat them over the behind for storing away food? No. They weren't going to discipline them for that. They just wanted them to believe, to understand that that time is gone now. You are a part of this family. We will care for you. We will provide for you. You are loved. You're not going to screw this up so that we're going to take food away from you. You're ours now and that's what Paul is getting at and trying to remind you and me it's different now yes there's still sin out there yes you can still make choices that separate but you don't have to this isn't your your world anymore this isn't the nation that you live in this isn't your profile anymore your identity anymore you have been transferred you are a part of the family you are protected, you are loved, you are provided for. You live in grace. Everything is forgiven. You're not who you were. You are not condemned. You're a kid, you're a child. Take just a deep breath and let that, let that just sit with you. That's the baseline for what, we, what we're talking about in this series. You just, you just have to continually allow yourself to embrace that reality. That's who you are. Back to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, after all of this, first five chapters of Romans, he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Which is a good question, isn't it? Because if you believe all the stuff that we've just been talking about, then that means that there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from God's love, then that means that you can still screw around and God's not gonna boot you out of the family. Then that means that there's no condemnation that every sin that you've done and still will do is paid for. So then, can I keep sinning? Because there's some things that are kind of seem fun at the time, right? I mean, there's something, I have this pattern, or I, I, I kind of want to try that out or experience that. And, and so that's what Paul's asking can I just go on sinning? And I'll just keep, keep the grace coming because I'll just, I'll just keep experiencing and experimenting. It's almost as if uh, do I have license to sin? Do I have diplomatic immunity? Am I above the consequences and the laws? And the, can, I, can I go on this? And it's as if Paul is saying, well, you can. I mean, there's consequences to every action. But you can. God's not going to kick you out of his house. He's not going to boot you out of the family. You can keep doing those things. It's possible. He goes on. Shall we keep on sinning? so that God can show us more of this wonderful grace? And here's his response, verse 2. Of course not. It's like a, why would you? Verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ died and raised, was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You don't have to steal food anymore. You don't have to fight for yourself and protect yourself. You don't have to be worried about where your next meal is going to come from. You don't have to live over there anymore. It's not who you are anymore. It's not the way you need to operate anymore. And Paul's saying, you can, but why would you? There's negative consequences for all that behavior. You know that. You've lived it. You've experienced it. Things are shiny and nice and look good on the surface, but when you go down that road, they always disappoint you. They do not satisfy. Why would you want to go down that road? Sure, you can indulge. Sure, you can do that. but And God's not going to kick you out. But why? It's better this way. It's actually better over here in connection with, together with, in relationship with, walking, connected to your God, to others, and to yourself. It's better this way. You know, uh, I've said before that I don't really dance, and that's true, and uh, and so when when I was, it was embarrassing in like junior high and high school, those, the school dances, um, like I oh, hope many, some, some of you guys, I was the guy on the outside. Uh, until the slow dance, and I was like, I can kind of do this. Because uh, what I realized in college or shortly after college when some people wanted to take me country line dancing is that that's, that's a place where the guys like me can play a little bit. Uh, because they started off by saying, here's the Texas two-step. And then one of my obnoxious friends said, Caleb, even you can do this. And which makes you want to not do it, right? Because that whole thing that's broken in me. That, and, but anyway, I, I, I did it, and it's just simply this. It's like you step step, you step, you step, and you step, and you step. And I was like, okay, fine, I, I can do that. Uh, but you know what it made me think of uh, related to this message? Is It made me, made me think of the, the kind of the churchy two-step that people do. You know this, where they go, sin, confess. Sin, confess. Sin, say I'm sorry. Sin, apologize. Right? It's just like, sin, rinse, repeat, sin, rinse, repeat, sin, (laughs) rinse, repeat. Like I can keep on doing this uh, because there's grace. And Paul's saying, well, yeah, you can. But why would you? And some of you are like, Caleb, you're going going, like too soft on sin here. They said the same thing to Jesus and to Paul. It's done. What's done is done forgiven. Like all of it, all of your stuff, forgiven. And you can do the sin, confess, sin, and just keep carrying on if you want to. But the question is, why? Paul's like, why would you? It's better this way. Life is better over here, connected in relationship with, connected to. This is who you were designed to be. Sin always separates It disconnects you from God, from others, and yourself. It's actually not the path that you want. You think it is when the shiny, happy thing is out in front of you dangling, but it's not what you want. It's better over here. It's better for you. It's better for the people that you love. It's just better God's way. Jesus says this famous line in John 10.10. He says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So in this, when Jesus is talking here, he's setting up a visual illustration. So he's positioning himself as a shepherd, a good shepherd, and he's positioning someone else as a thief. A lot of people just naturally assume, if you kind of grow up reading Bible stories, that the thief is Satan or the devil or whatever. That's actually not really implied. A thief is someone who steals, So someone who steals from the shepherd who is being a good shepherd. So you can think of anyone in your life who has stolen from you, who has done the opposite of giving you a life that Jesus says which is rich and satisfying. And you're thinking of people, right? You are. Now pause and just think about you. Because the unfortunate truth is the person who steals the most from you is you. Because there's something in us There's something in us. We have just this kind of prone to, tendency toward. And the person in the mirror is your biggest theft. We wish that we could blame it on other people out there, but really, at the end of the day, you bought it, you ate it, you drank it, you smoked it, you dated her, you manipulated the situation. We can be our own worst enemy, right? And we've all felt it, and we've all asked the question, what's wrong with me? And Jesus says, well, this. I've dealt with what's wrong with you. Now follow me. Because what I want for you, Jesus says really clearly, is a full life, a rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus wants for you. And you can try to satisfy yourself over here with all the stuff that separates you, but it won't go well. It never does. It hasn't in your past and it still won't. But he says, I don't condemn you for that. You can, you can sin, rinse, repeat if you want to, but it's better over here. I have a full and meaningful life for you. It's just better this way. So, this week, I want to invite you just to do something simple. You don't have to go through your whole list of things that you're guilty about and try to eliminate those things from your life, but would you just do this? Start by reminding yourself that you've been transferred, that you've been adopted, that you're His, that you're no longer over here. He's rescued you and transferred you with Him. You're part of the family. It's what's true of you. The minute you want it to be, the minute you say that you believe, you're with him. And none of your activity and stuff changes that. You're with him. And then every time an opportunity comes up, every time something happens, every time that there's a temptation, every time you kind of come to the edge and you could go one of two ways, just ask yourself, will this path satisfy me or steal from me? Will this path Satisfy me? Or will it steal from me? Because Jesus raised to new life so that you could have new life. And He's not waiting with a stick to beat your behind or a lightning bolt to get you. He just wants you to get it. You don't have to take food anymore. You don't have to sniff glue anymore. You're part of the family. You're with me. You're loved. You're provided for. You're protected. You can know true happiness. You can have true hope regardless of the circumstances because you're mine. And then just act accordingly. God, we thank you for your generous grace. We ask that you would help us to know it more. That you would lead us down a path of full and meaningful life. In Jesus' name.